Well, good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for joining me on Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, your host, coming to you from uh, Coming Home Network International in Central Ohio, but coming to you over EWTN Radio. It's a great privilege for us to be involved with EWTN. And uh, uh, I want to begin by thanking all of you as we begin this uh, new year. Uh, Here we are a couple programs into the new year, but it still seems like a new season. I want to thank all of you who've been uh, uh, regular listeners to this program, sending us your emails, checking out the website. Each week I invite a guest to join us to talk about a verse they never saw. And usually that means a verse that uh, awakened them. Didn't mean that they didn't know Jesus or that they didn't know Scripture. In fact, they may have known Scripture very well. But sometimes when they read Scripture, all of a sudden a particular passage Maybe it's a passage somebody recommended them to read, awakened them to a new way of understanding the faith. And particularly in this program, of course, these scriptures help them discover the beauty and the fullness of the Catholic faith. And our guest for today is Teresa Beam, uh, is a former Seventh-day Adventist. And she's chosen for the passage for us to discuss today, Romans chapter 13, 1 through 5. And... I'm very excited about this discussion because I was a Presbyterian before I became Catholic, and there are certain passages of Scripture that are the key passages that awaken Presbyterians to the Catholic Church, or Baptists, or Methodists, or Lutherans, or Episcopalians, and and this particular passage I think is very significant, Romans 13, 1 through 5, because of the particular Christian tradition from which Teresa came. And she'll talk about that in a moment. She was a guest on the Journey Home program. And if you want to hear her entire story, I'm quite sure you can go to EWTN.com and the archives will have the audio of when Teresa was on the Journey Home. Uh, You can read on DeepInscripture.com website her bio. It says that she was raised in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Uh, She immersed herself in leadership positions in both the church and school systems. She passionately promoted Adventist for Life as president and occasionally wrote for the Seventh-day Adventist National and International Publications. So Teresa was very much, um, I don't want to use the word indoctrinated, that has too negative slant, but she was formed in the Seventh-day Adventist. That's how she understood herself and her faith and was very actively involved as a Seventh-day Adventist. Upon withdrawing from the Adventist denomination, she and her husband, Arthur, wrote a book to help former Adventists entitled It's Okay Not to Be a Seventh-day Adventist, which is available Amazon.com, other places. When Teresa joins us in a moment, we're going to ask her about that title, It's Okay Not to Be a Seventh-day Adventist. And then after intense and, and uh, tenacious study of both the Bible and church history, uh, Teresa and her husband dove headfirst into the beloved Catholic Church and became members in 2008. So go to deepinscripture.com. You can connect with us in a variety of ways. You can even watch the program online if you want. Find out a lot of information about the Coming Home Network. But if you'd like to give us a call or write us an email, even during the program, we'd love to hear from you. You can call us at 800 664 or you can call us anytime. This is the Coming Home Network number, 
Or you can send me an email at Marcus, M-A-R-C-U-S, at deepinscripture.com. Teresa chose Romans 13 through 1. Let me read this, and then we'll take a break, and Teresa will join us. St. Paul wrote to the Christians in Rome, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, he who resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of him who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. He is the servant of God to execute his wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be subject, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, and you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. Next time on EWTN Live, we live in a society that pushes the use of artificial birth control, but few know there is a safe, natural, and church-approved way to space out pregnancy for serious reasons. Tune in when Dr. Delhan joins Father Mitch to talk about natural family planning. That's on the next EWTN Live. EWTN Live with Father Mitch Pacwa is seen and heard around the world. For dates and times in your area, log on to EWTN.com. If you enjoy the Journey Home television program on EWTN, you'll want to purchase a copy of Marcus Grody's book, Journey's Home. Journey's Home contains the conversion stories of men and women who, as a result of their surrender to Jesus Christ, heard a call to follow him more completely in the Catholic Church. Many of them were Protestant pastors or missionaries. Others were laymen who, though working in secular jobs, took their calling to serve Christ in the world very seriously. To order your copy of Marcus Grody's book, Journeys Home, simply visit our website at www.chresources.com or call us toll-free at 1-800-664-5110. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grody, and I'm joined today by Teresa Bean, calling all the way from Seattle. Hello, Teresa. Hello, Marcus. Thank you for joining me on the program. It was a pleasure when we were there uh, having your story on, on the Journey Home program. And uh, it's great to have you on, on the Scripture program. I mentioned earlier that your book was entitled It's Okay Not to Be a Seventh-day Adventist. And my guess is that probably a majority of the audience would probably agree <laughs> so, I mean, it's a probably a universal uh, uh, agreement on that, most people, but maybe not with Seventh-day Adventists. Talk to the right. audience of why that was such an important right. title. Well, you know, first of all, the Seventh-day Adventist Church has been teaching since 1844, the Lord is about to come. The Lord is, it's, it's an imminent return. And they have also taught that at that time, because of their prophecies of their, of Ellen White, their prophetess, yep. that in the last days, that 
the dividing line between Christians and those who are apostate Christians is the Seventh-day Sabbath. And so they said, you better stay Seventh-day I mean, it is for them. They are the remnant. They don't share the remnant hood with other denominations. They are the remnant of Christ. And so you're brought up as a Seventh-day Adventist to believe you must be a Seventh-day Adventist if you are going to be uh, on the right side in the last days. So the whole and, thing came down to, to Saturday or seventh day? Well, uh, for them, the seventh day is the, the Jewish Sabbath, which okay. is Saturday to them. Right. And so, uh, you know, you, you had to remain, and that, that was the most important thing that God required of you was to be obedient, and that kind of shows your obedience is keeping the fourth commandment, which to them means the seventh day. Saturday. And so I was raised with the idea that it was not okay <laughs> to be in another denomination. Yeah. And so uh, our publisher kept thinking, why, let's rename this book. This is, this is just an awful name. <laughs> but for all those who are Seventh-day Adventists that are questioning what really the Bible says in comparison to their doctrines, this is a very important question. When they see this book and they say, it's okay not to be a Seventh-day Adventist, this is something that they have not encountered. They have not encountered anyone saying to them, you know what, it's okay. And, I, you know, for months and months as uh, I was leaving the church with my husband, that was a mantra that the Lord kept putting in my brain because <laughs> I really was very traumatized by leaving the church. Yep. So it was a matter of conviction for us to leave, and uh, that was one of the things to me that when, when Seventh-day Adventists see the title, yeah. it's going to be a more soothing you know, <laughs> well, than what it comes across to the outside world. Well, and the, I'm an author, and what's important, I believe, in writing, as well as doing television or radio, is we have a target audience. Right. Who do we want to reach? If you don't have a target audience as a writer, as uh, doing television or radio, uh, if you don't have a target audience, it's hard to guide what you want to say. And right. Uh, you. Unapologetically, many ways, my target audience are are Protestant ministers. I really want to reach them for the fullness of the faith. When I wrote my novel and and edited Journeys Home, the book, that was the the target that I'm aiming for. Your right. title is going to get your book to those you want to reach. That's right. That's right. And, oh, uh, and by the way, I meant to say thank you very much for inviting me oh, onto sure. the program. Uh, anyway, go no, ahead. no, no. Sorry. Well, I, I really am glad because, as I mentioned to you before the program, in the 12 years plus that we've had the Journey Home program, we've had representatives from all kinds of denominations, but not very many converts from Seventh-day Adventists. And why is that, Teresa? Well, first of all, the Seventh-day Adventists are very, very anti-Catholic. I mean, they, they had a... Uh, prophetess named Ellen White, mm -hmm. who predicted that in the last days, which of course, like I said, is imminent, always imminent to an Adventist, that the Catholic Church is going to uh, spearhead a persecution of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And so you are brought up to have enormous fear, uh, and that the ultimate deception comes from the mouth of the Pope. 
Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that would be pretty much, I think, the reason most people would be afraid. They, you know, they can trickle out into mainstream Christianity, but there is just nothing more frightening to them than Catholicism. Which is, uh, boy, I wish we had more time to talk about that, because <laughs> it's very interesting when you look at when the Seventh-day Adventist, Adventist movement began there in the right. little bit before the mid-1800s. Um, you know, for the first 150 years of the history of the United States, there were very, very, very few Catholics in America. And so right. you have this black myth about Catholicism, the really negative, the, the acid negatives about the Catholic right. Church are passed on, not from people's experience, but because they heard it generation after generation. And my guess is most of those first Seventh-day Adventists probably did not know that many Catholics. Right. They had just had, had accepted as authority right. these traditions about the Catholic Church. Right. Many Seventh-day Adventists I talked to say that the reason the pilgrims came over to America is they were fleeing from the Catholic Church. <laughs> they didn't realize it was the Anglican Church in England. That's exactly. But anyway. That's right. Well, let me ask you then, um, Romans 13, 1 through 5, why was this... Just in general, first of all, why this passage? Why was this so important to you? Well, um, and it has a lot to do with being a Seventh-day Adventist. Okay. Uh, I really meant, you know, I, t- I told the lady at Mary, your, your uh, I think, secretary, yep. that it's really the last verse that just was so profound for us. Because when Arthur and I, and Arthur's my husband, when we left the Seventh-day Adventist Church, we started doing very careful uh, studies into what other denominations believed. Because we, we had been so convicted, or, or so convinced that everybody out there was going to deceive us. So we spent enormous, we spent six years studying the Catholic Church, along with all the other denominations. Yep. And uh, the Catholic Church, to our great surprise, had every single thing based in the Bible. And so through this process, through the study of scriptures and through the st- uh, study of church history, we became convicted that the Catholic Church is the true authority of Christ. It is Christ's beloved bride, the Holy Mother Church, and she speaks in a way for God. Now, we at the same time know that Scripture says we're su- supposed to submit to our church authorities. Yep. I mean, I think that's, uh, you know, you you talk about this a lot in <laughs> um, all your journey home and your um and, and this the program here. Right. So I really don't want to just rehash, and I want to tell my Seventh-day Adventist friends out there uh, that are listening, they don't probably don't listen to this show very often, and so if, if you want uh, the full reason why uh, I believe this and why the Catholic Church, I believe, is is the true authority of God, you're going to have to listen to the program, <laughs> because <laughs> I kind of need to premise that we already uh, established that in yep. our hearts. Yep. And so... The problem then came in with our conscience, because even though we had been convicted that the Catholic Church was the authority of God, we'd also been raised in a Protestant culture that told us that our conscience is to be our guide. Do you remember that Jiminy Cricket song from Pinocchio? Oh, of course, yeah. 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 Always let your conscience be your guide. And we also had, you know, our... The, the Protestants tell you, and Catholics agree to this to a certain extent, that the conscience 
is where the Holy Spirit talks to you. That it is your direct line to God. And even though they, they say, they don't come out and say your conscience is infallible. They do give that impression. Mm-hmm. Because you would never, ever go against your conscience. I mean, when we look at what Martin Luther said, here I stand, I can do no other. He appealed to reason and to scripture, but he also appealed to conscience. Yes. Yeah. And so you've got these two forces, very potent and important forces, clashing at times. And this is what happened to Arthur and I. We, even though we had been firmly convinced the Catholic Church is our authority, and we're supposed to obey it. But what degree does your conscience have over this? In other words, when your conscience is telling you something opposite of the Catholic Church, what do you do? Do you yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's, it's, well, uh, it becomes this really uh, a, a, terrifying, a terrifying concept, because for us, and I know that a lot of your uh, listeners will understand this, when we came into the Catholic Church, we still had a lot of uh, fear about mm-hmm. Marian, the Marian doctrines, right. you know, the Marian devotion. It still felt in our consciences like it was idolatry. And so you kind of have this pull back and forth. Okay, so what do I do? Yeah, yeah. And so um, we decided to start looking into Scripture and seeing what does the Scripture say when those two things Mm-hmm. Come into conflict. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, from your background, mm-hmm. like I, when I was thinking about this passage in relationship to your background, right? Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Mm-hmm. Uh, then jump to verse five. Therefore, one must be subject not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Now, okay. In Seventh Day Adventistism, you were subject to authorities. That's right. I mean, let's put it this way: Ellen G. White. I mean, this morning I had cereal for breakfast. And as far as I understand from history, one of the main reasons that the whole cereal industry <laughs> caught on in America is because of the Seventh-day Adventists. That's right. J. Harvey Kellogg. Exactly. Uh, you know, that whole movement up in, uh, in basically it's following the, um, the ideas, the prophecies of Ellen G. White. Ellen G. White held an amazing authoritative power among Seventh-day Adventists. Yes. I mean, what she said went, right? That's right. I mean, that's part of their doctrines. The Seventh-day Adventists say that, that Ellen White is an authoritative source to, to interpret Scripture. It's, so, yes. Um, your conscience, then, from the time you were a child, was being formed. That's correct. Formed in the context of the influences of Ellen G. White, as well as the founders of the Seventh-day Adventists that really put this number one, emph- the, the, uh, the, uh, the litmus test for, right, yeah. for whether you were saved or not was right. worshiping on Saturday. And your conscience right. was built on that. And, and I even wonder when you and your husband became Catholic and all of our non-Seventh-day Adventists and you're worshiping on another day <laughs> than Saturday, you probably had a lot of voices within you they were giving you a hard time. Yeah, I tease, I tease people when I tell them the story, but it is actually true. The first time Arthur and I uh, chose to attend a Sunday church service, our conviction told us this is the right thing to do, you know, but our conscience 
had still been uh, formed by the Adventist church. And so we were, had this huge conflict. And I remember driving and pulling down the mirror, you know, the makeup mirror uh, on my side and going, Arthur, I want you to tell me when that 666 starts to be emblazoned on my forehead. Because I said, that's the way I'm feeling right now by going to church on Sunday. And so anyway, yeah. And so we knew even upon leaving the Seventh Adventist Church that we had been taught our consciences had been actually intentionally formed to be weak. Uh, you know, just stuff like the Seventh Adventist Church teaches that you do not eat any unclean meats based on the Le- Le- Leviticus in the Old Testament. Like we Adventists don't eat any pork mm-hmm. and they don't eat uh, any shellfish. And a lot of Adventists, when they go into the store, they look at all the ingredients just to make sure uh, of anything they purchase. They don't accidentally get something in there that would be unclean. And Adventists also they say, if you really, really want to please God, you'll become vegetarian altogether. Yep. And so I think it's interesting that we were taught the stronger that you became in your conscience, the less meat you would eat, which is diametrically opposed to what Paul says. He says those that are weak in conscience will eat only vegetables and drink water. And so we knew immediately, okay, our consciences need to help. (laughs) They need to be matured. So that was one of the things we went into uh, Catholicism and understanding. We're going to take a break, uh, Teresa. When we come back, um, I'd like you to talk about a couple things. Um, sure. Verse 2 of this passage, Therefore he who resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. Talk about how that verse can be misused to control people. Yes. And, uh, and also, when we get back, I want to ask how you as a Seventh-day Adventist dealt with Acts chapter 15. where you have the first consul and the church has the audacity to set aside Old Testament rules and establish new ones. The new re-eating rules in that first conf. I mean, basically that's talking about the authority of the church. What do you do with that as 70 MS? We'll talk about that when we get back from the break. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, and I'm joined today by Teresa Beam, and you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. Next time on Life on the Rock, how does one go about promoting the dignity of life in a culture of death? Find out when Professor of Sacred Theology Monica Miliorino miller joins Doug and Father Mark to talk about the pro-life movement. That's on the next Life on the Rock here on EWTN. Life on the Rock is seen and heard around the world on EWTN. For dates and times in your area, log on to EWTN.com. Written by Carl Adam, Roots of the Reformation gives a historically sensitive and accurate analysis of the cases of the Reformation that stands as a valid and sometimes unsettling challenge to the presuppositions of Protestants and Catholics alike. This valuable resource is a powerful summary of the issues that led to the Reformation and their implications today. To order a copy of this book for yourself or a friend, please visit our website www.chnetwork.org or call us at 1-800-664-5110.
Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi. I'm joined uh, today by Teresa Beam. Teresa, before the break, I, I wanted you to, to first address um, this passage, verse 2 in Romans 13. Let me read it again. Therefore, he who re- resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. That can be used to control people. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, every single passage that talks about sheep, uh, wolves in sheep's clothing and false authority, the Seventh-day Adventist Church used against every other church. So the main, when I read that as a Seventh-day Adventist, I realize there can be false authorities. And so we have to be very careful to go and search out who is the true authority of God. What does the Bible say? What does history point to? And I guess that would be, uh, uh, you have to be very, very careful because there are false authorities out there. Oh, and and when I think about Seventh-day Adventists, and if there's anyone listening, uh, not just Seventh-day Adventists, but anyone, I want you to understand that I don't mean to be casting aspersions or making judgments about Seventh-day Adventists. Uh, I've, I know I've said often on both the journey home and deep in Scripture that I'm eternally grateful to the, the witness of my Protestant uh, pastors and friends who brought me to Jesus long before I thought about the Catholic Church. So that's not the issue here. But on the other hand, Seventh-day Adventists, there's some issues. And, uh, you know, one question I ask you, Teresa, um, when I look back at the Old Testament, they make a big deal about uh, the Sabbath. Right. Um, but I can look at some verses in Leviticus that I don't think the Seventh-day Adventists put into practice. <laughs> That's right. I mean, there's some pretty they, they goofy ones. Because of, because of the prophetess. You have to understand, it's the pro- uh, Ellen White kind of went through the Old Testament and highlighted what God told her the church should follow. How so did she ever get such... That's why they feel like they can ignore how does uh, one person? How does one person like Ellen G. White, how did she get such authority? amongst because she wasn't one of the founders right right the same way joseph smith did the same way uh, mary baker eddy uh, ellen white supposedly had all these miraculous visions and so uh that was what convinced a lot of people is that she would go into these visions while in public and then she would uh you know just they said there were people that said that she wouldn't breathe, and they had doctors showing that she that she was authentically not breathing, and so they felt like this was a miracle from God, and God was giving her, giving her this uh, uh, power, and so therefore we should listen to her. You know, wow. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean that, that that's scary. I mean, even yeah. we Catholics, uh, probably a day or week doesn't go by when there isn't somebody claiming that you know they had a private message from mary or the saints and and so that's why even we catholics have to make sure that there's an authority right that discerns the authenticity of what somebody's claiming they've heard from god well you know as a seventh adventist when we were shot out i mean i feel like god just through his grace and mercy i feel like i i was lot (laughs) and the lord just took an angel and brought us out of the church but you, it is very, very confusing when you have learned you cannot trust your own instincts, that your worldview can be, uh, can be warped. And I, I can tell you that I felt so abandoned by God hmm. because 
he says in his scriptures that we can't trust our own understanding mm-hmm. right. and that we can't trust our own strength and our own knowledge. And so when I found a church, a beloved and holy mother church that's there to guide and protect us and keep us theologically safe, that was to me the most wonderful thing. Because even though, you know, we're told as Protestants that we can rely directly on God, that, that you know, God talks to us in our hearts, yep. the, the difference is he could have gotten rid of the Bible. In other words, if that's the way it was supposed to be, yep. God and me, why does he need a Bible? Why didn't he just spit, just put it all directly in our brains? He uses things outside of ourselves so that we can triangulate truth. He gives us the Bible, and then he also gives us the the Holy Mother Church, which the Bible actually points to as our authority. Mm-hmm. So anyway. Well, I wanted to just tag on to that because in John 15, when Jesus says this very familiar passage, I am the vine, you are the branches, he who abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, I'm, as a seven-day Adventist, I'm sure that a good part of your training was, uh, and your formation and your education, was about how to abide in Jesus. Yes. How to abide and how to be connected with Jesus and how to make sure that you didn't do anything apart from Christ. But, you know, talk about that, Teresa, because it's uh, apart from the, the body of Christ, the church, it's easy to just read into it whatever you want or what you're trusting your certain leaders are telling you what it means to be close to Jesus. And you can be led off into all kinds of other things. That's right. I mean, the, the, scripture are, the scriptures are very, very clear. And every one of these different Protestant uh, uh, doctrines look at that and they, they assume they are the correct source of authority. And so they can take these uh, uh, warnings against false authority and just spray it out there against anybody but themselves. And and even though as a Seventh-day Adventist, we were taught to have a relationship with the Lord, that was uh, important. And so many Seventh-day Adventists are wonderful Christians. Again, they look to the authority of Ellen White and also what's called the General Conference to do all their interpretations. Their worldview of looking at the Bible is through those eyes of Ellen White and her prophecies. Over the years, I'm wondering, uh, did uh, was the uh, general counsel and uh, Ellen G. White infallible, or did they change significant teachings over the years? You know, that is interesting. I've never thought about that. Uh, I don't think that they come out and say that Ellen White is infallible, but uh, they say that she is the lesser light to the greater light, and to them the Bible is the greater light, and it is infallible. But in order to understand it correctly, you have to go through her, which I, in a sense makes her, I guess, infallible. Well, yeah, to speak against Ellen G. White right. as a Seventh-day Adventist, you'd probably right. get in trouble. Or, uh, you know, or at least be looked askance at. So we have this woman um, uh, lifted up as an authority. I mentioned earlier this passage from Acts 15, and I'm wondering how you dealt with that. Now, we're not going to read that whole passage now on right. the radio, but basically Acts 15 
is about the first church council in Jerusalem. When the question comes up, does the do new Gentile Christians, in other words, non-Jewish converts, right? Do they have to go through the Old Testament ceremonial circumcision and other regulations for them to become Christian? And how did this, you as a Seventh-day Adventist deal with that first consul? Well, what I was told, because that is one of the questions I took to my pastor yeah. when I was uh, con- very concerned about some of the doctrines of Adventism, and what I was told was that uh, they're talking about ordinances, non-commandments. Okay. <laughs> the Ten Commandments to a Seventh-day Adventist are overarching, and they are eternal. And so that means the fourth commandment is overarching and eternal, and it can never change ever. It can't change the day. It can't change anything. So they said that is assumed in the council because it's eternal. And so everything the council says is, well, of course they didn't mean the Ten Commandments. Right, okay. So that's that's how they. I was told. And... Uh but the so they weren't they were avoiding the uh, the fact that this group of of early bishops really right. you know early leaders the elders and, and and were recognizing that the holy spirit had given them authority to change and they just made the distinction between um right okay that that, that i well, guess uh, I had a, a conversation with a uh, dear Seventh Avenue person over this thi- this exact thing, and uh, what they told me was that if Jesus Himself had never come, if 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 everything in the Bible turns out to be wrong, we can stand on the Ten Commandments. That nothing else is important except that is what stands eternally is the Ten Commandments. So, uh, no, that's how they, everything is colored through those lenses. And actually, as a Catholic, we we would agree that the right. Ten Commandments remain. They are the foundation. <laughs> we, we agree. Right. Um, it's just that we don't link the day of rest with Saturday. Right. And the, right. the early church dealt with that when we got the left foot of fellowship from from the Jewish synagogues and began worshiping on the day that Christ rose from the grave. That's Sunday. And see, that's where they say the Catholic Church went wrong. That's where they say they stepped away from God because they did not have the authority to to start worshiping on Sunday. See, that's that's their uh, and and you know in our book, uh, it's okay not to be Seventh Day Adventist. We take like ten chapters to walk Seventh Day Adventists through the idea that uh, the church was given the authority and that when he rose on Sunday, that that became the new, in a sense, the new Sabbath. Which is also, I mean, we, uh, another issue there is, right. <laughs> the, is the seventh day had the seventh day equal equivalent to Saturday, or are right. we, we dropping a later calendar, <laughs> right. Actually, right. a non-Jewish right. calendar onto a Jewish idea right um, so the idea right. of, a, of a day of rest versus right. Saturday uh, and right. like, that's, that's a huge subject you, you know what I'm saying that's mm-hmm. that you could just take another couple of, of uh, uh, shows and, and do it on just on that <laughs> well how does and you had to do this you and your husband had to do this how does one break free from a conference a, a conscience 
so solidly right. formed by a verse like verse 2, therefore he who resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. How do you break free from that that's been you've been so indoctrinated in? Well, uh, first of all, we just looked at Scripture. I mean, that was something very important to me. Even though I was convicted that the Catholic Church had the authority of God, I still, we still loved to see, you know, we were that Protestant mindset, I love a proof text. And so uh, one of the things we found when we were going through the Old Testament, and accidentally, this was just an accident, we were studying judges uh, for our worship in the morning, and we came upon the same quote twice in Judges. It's in Judges 17.6 and in Judges 21.25. We came across a text that said, in those days there was no king in Israel, and every man did what was right in his own eyes. And so, you know, I'd always passed by that. But what it's saying is it doesn't say in those days there was no one paying attention to Scripture. There was nobody (laughs) uh, 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 looking at the law. It says there was no authority. And it didn't say that every man just threw out all what they believed and just had, you know, a mayhem. No, it says they did what was right in their own eyes. They followed their conscience. And so, without the right authority, we can develop our consciences wrong. And so, just the, the knowledge that this happened in the Old Testament, and then going through and, and um, seeing even in the New Testament, it gave us a conviction. And there's something different between our conscience and our conviction. And once we have been convicted, something is correct through our reason, through the grace of the Holy Spirit, just and I, I believe that it, it's almost a miracle to break through the kind of prejudice yeah. that we were raised under. But the conviction in our heart gave us the strength to go against our conscience. Because I was raised, you know, you should not eat certain things. And to go even to have something as easy as drinking coffee, that was looked at as, as you were hurting the temple of God, and you shouldn't be drinking coffee. And so, you know, I poured that first cup of coffee, and you're looking at it, and you're going, you know, my conscience is being hurt a little bit right here. And I don't recommend going against your conscience, but only when that conviction of the Holy Spirit has absolutely shown you you've triangulated between the church between the the holy uh, scriptures then you say okay you know what this is i have my conscience has been formed weak weekly <laughs> yeah. and so i i took a sip out of conviction and so my conscience and and my husband and i both had the same uh experience that your conscience does follow and it, it you don't have to feel like you've just sinned terribly and and it's it's that working together you know what i'm saying yeah. we didn't yeah. just throw away i mean i am absolutely do not want to be misquoted as saying that i handed my conscience over to the catholic church and shut down my reasoning uh, what i'm saying is that we knew we, we needed a better formed conscience. And so therefore, we took the 2,000 years of church history and scripture, which included the greatest spiritual thinkers of all time, and had them help influence and help advance and fully develop a healthy conscience for us. Yeah, the, this is really such a key issue because, um, I mean, here we are, um, 
just just take aside this passage because uh, it can also be interpreted and equally so, important so, to not only mean authorities within the church, but uh, our governing authorities right. outside the church in a country. And right. um, uh, it was the founding fathers of, of our country that basically said that this whole experiment of democracy um, could only work amongst a people who were religious and had morals. Right. And so in other words, what they're saying is that a voting populace can be trusted depending on if they're voting from a formed conscience. And here we are 200 years later. Sadly, we have a populace of Americans that, how has their consciences been formed? Right. Which authorities right. teach their conference, conscience what is true? And that's a bit scary. Well, the end of this verse in Romans thirteen five to me and my husband, when we saw this, everything just exploded. We got it. It was our proof text, you know, <laughs> that, that, that need for our Protestant proof text. But if you look at it, it says, therefore, it's necessary to be in subjection. Now, I'm going to be reading from NIV, and I know that's, that's slightly fine. different than yours. Yeah. But it says, therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection to God, and, and it's, it's to God's, the context is into God's authorities. Yeah. Not only because of wrath, but for the conscience sake. Yeah. And then I thought, okay, wait a minute. It doesn't say it's necessary for God's authorities to be in subjection to our conscience. <laughs> <laughs> That's not how our consciences are well-formed. They're formed, well-formed, by making sure, well, not yep. just make sure, but it's necessary for a well-formed conscience to be in subjection to God's appointed authorities. Hmm. So that was, for us, the most important thing about that text, is that we can rest in knowing we haven't hurt God, and we haven't cut off that Holy Spirit that's telling us what's right and wrong in our conscience by at the same time, being in subjection to his appointed authorities. Yeah, the the very familiar verse in First Peter uh, chapter three that says, "Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who calls you to account for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and reverence." So, I mean, we're familiar with that verse. That's the call for us to know our faith, to be able to defend our faith, to do it with love and reverence. But in verse 16, it says, and keep your conscience clear so that when you are abused, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Our conscience is important. Right. Conscience as, as on the one hand to make sure it's not overwhelmed with guilt because of sinful life, but also to make sure that it, that it is overflowing with what is true. And I, I, I wanted to bring that up, uh, Teresa, because... You mentioned earlier that you even felt guilty drinking coffee. Yeah. <laughs> and here I, I probably have never done a TV or radio program without a cup of coffee in front of me. <laughs> and my guess is a Seventh-day Adventist watching me would just sh- would be sure that I'm not with Jesus because I'm right. drinking coffee. <laughs> but, but, I mean, that's an example of a conscience that's been misformed about what's true and right and good. I'm not trying to promote coffee. <laughs> but since when does the scripture say that drinking coffee is a sin? 
Right. Well, they take it under the entire uh, umbrella of your body is the temple of God. And so they have certain things because of Ellen White's. Yeah. Uh, and it's not just Ellen White. At that time, there was a uh, a movement of, of spiritual gurus in America that were teaching these things, yeah. that we can't drink tea, we t- can't drink coffee. I mean, Ellen White just cl- kind of culled from the uh, health gurus of the day and uh, said this. So it wasn't just Ellen White. But, but what you're getting at is very, is very important. These were not just Ellen White. This was a movement that still affects us today. Right. And people, their conscience has been formed from a great variety of authorities. Some authorities are trustworthy. Some of them are are, right. are loony. And yeah. and yet they experience guilt about it. They, they live with this guilt. It's either true guilt or false guilt. And I, I once heard a Protestant speaker. He's a, actually a great Protestant speaker. And he, he grew up in one of those traditions, I think like yours, can't dance. Can't can't you can't drink can't eat certain things and can't go to movies, and uh, he always felt guilty when he would sneak away to go to the theater to watch a movie because he was afraid he was going to get caught. Um, and uh, someone asked him, "Well, what if Jesus came again, and you were <laughs> in the right. middle of a movie?" That's and he'd right. say, "I'd be oh, mad yeah. because I wouldn't see the rest of the movie." <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I, you know, I can tell you that uh, there were times growing up that I that I was just in my in the theater, knowing that the theater was going to catch on fire, and that I would be forever sentenced to uh, hell because I had been in the theater <laughs> when my time came up. So we're yeah. going to ta- take a break because I would like, as we close the program, to because really you're addressing. Not just Seventh-day Advent, but anyone who recognizes that our conscience and how we treat and form and listen to our conscience is very important. And how we form it is essential. So maybe talk as we close, we come back after, is now as a Catholic, how do we form our consciences to make sure that we are following what is true? We'll come back in a moment. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, your host. Today we're joined by Teresa Beam, and you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. The Coming Home Network International is a nonprofit Catholic lay apostolate dedicated to helping Protestant clergy and laity come home to the Catholic Church. It was founded by Marcus Grodi, the host of this program, as well as the Journey Home television program on EWTN. If you are on the journey and interested in learning more about the Coming Home Network International or know someone who's thinking of becoming Catholic, please visit our website, www.chnetwork.org, or contact us at 1-800-664-5110. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi. I'm joined by Teresa Beam. Teresa, the center of this passage, uh, Romans 13, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. And it says in verse 4, but if you do wrong, be afraid. And the, the, the point is that the, the center of this whole thing is about knowing what is good 
and bad, discerning what is right or wrong, and basing your life on it. How do you? How does a person do that? Uh, you know, I know that there's a text in First Timothy. I, I'm going to guess it's First uh, Timothy one five. I could be wrong, but. Um, it's Paul talking to Timothy, and he says the goal of our instruction as church leaders, yes. the goal of our instruction is to teach love from a pure heart and a good conscience. So therefore, we know that if we listen to our leaders, that that's, that's the point of them instructing us, mm-hmm. is to have a good conscience and to know in, in a world where it, we feel abandoned by uh, authority, you know, a lot of times people don't have their fathers around. You know, we we are left to just figure it out on our own. And I felt so blessed to know that God didn't abandon me, that he gave me the Catholic Church to help me <laughs> know what is right and wrong. Well, in that very book you're mentioning is the familiar verse, 1 Timothy 3.15, that the pillar and foundation of truth is the church. And so there's the foundation, and then... You've pointed out so clearly in in First Timothy one five this idea that the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. If if all that was essential was the Bible alone, and then ourselves, Paul and Timothy wouldn't have needed to teach these people anything. That's right. It would be just you and God, just you and God. It would just you wouldn't even need the Bible. God could just you know automatically implant all truth in your brain. That he didn't choose to work that way. Jesus said that to submit to authority. Peter said to submit to the church authority. Paul and the writer of Hebrews all said to submit to the church authority. So as a Protestant, if you need to look at the scriptures and say that the scriptures are our authority, they point to the church. Yeah. Did uh, you as a Seventh-day Adventist, were you taught that the Bible was infallible? You know, it's actually in their doctrines, but I don't ever remember hearing anyone say that grow up. But you were taught sola scriptura. You know, honestly, until I left the church, I'd never heard that. I actually heard that more from my Baptist friends. So uh, I I know that in their Seventh-day Adventist actual doctrine, it is there that they believe that the the, uh, scriptures are inerrant and infallible. But that was not something that was brought up very often ever in my hearing growing up. Because it is interesting when you think about it that if, in fact, the Bible is completely clear and that all we really need is the Holy Spirit to guide our conscience to understand then why was it so necessary for the leaders of this movement back in the mid-1800s to all of a sudden correct everybody about some of these issues? In other words, that proves on the one hand that sola scriptura isn't sufficient because you have all all these different interpretations. But what really it shows is that individual people who have chutzpah, have charisma, can rise to authority and convince a bunch of people that they have a corner on what's true. I mean, that's what happened. That's right. And that's right. And once you have rejected the authority of the Catholic Church, any infidel, any horrible person can get up and say, I'm the true authority, everyone else is a false authority. And people will believe it. Well, I will say there's another part of this passage, which we don't have a lot of time to talk about, but it does say that, even if some of our authorities are not the best models of Christianity. 
that doesn't mean that you therefore have the freedom to throw the whole thing out. That's right. Absolutely. Paul, I think it's even Peter. He says, even if you're, uh, you have an unreasonable master, he says, you bear it up. You bear up yep. the, in, the injustice for your conscience sake. So, yeah, yep. we, we don't have to have perfect leaders. I mean, just think about a father with a bunch of children, and each one of them had a different conscience. You know, that actually happens in Adventist churches where, where the, the kids all have different uh, things yep. they feel feels wrong to eat. And so what do you do? <laughs> it becomes very chaotic if you don't have a, a, a God-ordained authority. Well, Jesus himself uh, pointed, got his disciples when he was teaching them to not imitate what the Pharisees did, but to follow right. what they taught when they sat in the seat of Moses, which yeah, is, he, that's what we do. It says you must obey them. And do everything they tell you. He didn't take away the authority. He just said they don't practice what they preach. Well, Teresa, hey, thank you. Do you uh, have you had any feedback from any Seven Day Adventists? Listen to your story. Uh, I have just. I am inundated daily with uh, emails, and uh, and yes, I, I've had a lot of response. Uh, for a lot of Adventists out there feel in their heart something is wrong, and uh, they just never have had anyone uh, uh, directly confront them that the Adventist church is, is teaching us the wrong thing. And so they knew it in the heart. They just needed somebody to say it out loud. <laughs> well, and they're also, as you said, their consciences from the beginning have been formed in such a way that, as you said in your book, it's... Uh, it's uh, your book, It's Okay Not to Be a Seventh-day Adventist, well, the opposite is what you've been taught since you were a little child, right? That's right. That's yeah. right. And so when you try and follow the Spirit and, and be open to the Catholic Church, you end up having to hide in a closet somewhere because you're just not sure how you'll be treated by a Seventh-day Adventist. But even yourself, right? I mean, you're still struggling with those issues as an early convert to the Catholic Church about whether you made the right move or not because right. those voices are are always there kind of kind of uh, pressuring you. And uh, if I may ask, how about family and friends? Uh, you know, I, I have had a lot of friends that have been very sweet, but have thought that I was crazy. One of my, my dearest, the people I love the most said, you're crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so many people more have said to me, you know what, we're so, so worried about your uh, mental stability and we're gonna pray for you. So they they really see this as I have gone I have literally gone insane, and that's that's hard to deal with. But you know I, I let the Lord defend me. That's right, Teresa. Thank you so much for joining us, and uh, I hope well, your book. You I hope more me. people will pick up your book and uh, and find out why in fact it is okay not to be a Seventh Day Adventist. And uh, and again on this program we're not aiming this as Seventh Day Adventists. We want people to have the fullness of the faith that Christ gave us in His Church. So thank you, Teresa. Thank all of you for listening. God bless you. Again, deepinscripture.com if you want to find out more. Otherwise, I'll see you next week. God bless.